0: Welcome to Owl Have You Know, a podcast from Rice Business. This episode is part of our Flight Path series, where guests share their career journeys and stories of the Rice connections that got them.
1: Enjoying this episode? Check out another episode, A Scholar of Scandal, featuring Professor Anastasia Zavyalova. She talks about her fascinating research on reputation management and how social media has impacted it. The link is in our show notes. Where they are. On today's episode of I'll Have You Know, we connect with Daniel Gutierrez, professional MBA of 2014. Born and raised in Mexico, the finance professional shares his flight path, and what brought him to the U.S., Rice University, and what landed him in his current role at North American Development Bank, a binational financial institution established by the governments of the U.S. and Mexico. We discuss the opportunities and collaborative initiatives between the two countries. Daniel also shares how being an international student at Rice shaped him into the leader that he is today. Today on I'll Have You Know, our guest is Daniel Gutierrez, professional MBA from the class of 2014. Daniel, thanks for joining us.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely. So you were born and raised in Mexico and came to the United States in 2009 for a business opportunity and have decided to stay.
0: 13 years and counting almost.
1: so tell me about your childhood and your upbringing in mexico and what brought you here to the united states
0: sure well i'm a 1979 model in the kind of frontier of generation x and generation y yeah and i kind of cannot identify with a particular generation i think i have characteristics of both in terms of like personality i grew up in the 80s and during that time in mexico we we learned that the oil bonanza was over We thought it was going to be lasting for a long, long time, and it turns out that it wasn't the case. Uh, It was a time of decentralization, deregulation, privatization, reforms, the idea of of new federalism, and the kind of glimpse of the country walking into what appeared to be democracy or the first uh, kind of glimpses of that. It was an interesting time, I think. I remember, because we had high inflation, I remember, in 82, 83, and I was like, I don't know, four or five years old. My mother would take me to the grocery. and said people were like relabeling cans of tuna, for instance. And like, mm. I didn't know what was going on. But, you know, it's this inflation, 100% inflation in 82, I think, and so on. We didn't have double-digit inflation until like a decade after, I guess. So the, we grew up in the 80s, this generation, especially in Mexico. Somehow, I think valuing what we had, being content with what we had, It's interesting when I now see a Milky Way bar, for instance, it was a precious item back then because we didn't have anything like that when I was raised. Right. So Mexico entered into the general agreement of tariffs and trade. I think it was in 86. So the economy opened, and then NAFTA after that, that was my childhood growing up in the eighties, experiencing huge technological change, Uh, if you now think Oh, these new generations think, okay, technological change with, you know, what's happening out there with AI and stuff. We did live uh, an incredible period of technological change back then. We didn't have internet, you know, you had to actually walk to the TV to change the channel, you know, things like that. that we we sort of experienced when we were kids, you probably contemporaneous to to me, I guess. So, you know what I'm talking about, going to the blockbuster, renting a video. Uh, waiting for it, you know. Blockbuster, yes. Yeah. Those were
1: the days, the good old days.
0: Exactly. So I'm a big fan of, you know, that type of culture, the pop culture. Keep watching those movies over and over again. I cannot get tired. It reminds me of my childhood. And in the 90s, I think it was more like NAFTA, uh, economic opening. And then I decided, okay, I want to be an economist. It was it was early in my high school years when I decided I wanted to study economics. So I applied to ITAM, which is a great school, in Mexico. Took me a while to figure it out. Flunked calculus one, <laughs> three times, I guess.
1: But you didn't give up.
0: <laughs> no, exactly, and that's that, that's all true, and that's part of this story, right? Because I think that the message that I'm trying to bring is why you want to, you know, pursue an MBA, or why you, why me, what is what makes me special? I think just keep on going, keep trying, keep staying at that effort, right? So. That's what I did in, in my college years, um, kept trying. That's one of my big motives. Uh, that took me through college, <laughs> that sense of I want to do this. And then after that, I graduated, I think it was in 2004.
1: So let's back up a little bit for uh, the financial crisis, because we we remember what the implications of that here in the United States. Can you tell me a little bit about what it was like in Mexico during that time?
0: Well, it was experience in the financial sector mostly in the beginning, lack of funding. When I was working in the, in the municipal and, and state sector, I think uh, the funding dried out completely. So many states and municipalities were struggling to fund their current expenditures to be able to afford the uh, maintenance for the infrastructure. So they were, they, it was a challenging time for, for many states and municipalities in Mexico and businesses alike. I think many businesses became you know bankrupt due to lack of funding, uh, mostly uh, the credit crunch all over the place. And at the time, I think uh, the market certificate issuances was stalled for, for a long time. So even the ability to fund uh, the long term, it was completely canceled out. I remember when I came to the US, you could see it everywhere, it was even even worse than in Mexico. I think the yeah. the mortgage industry was completely destabilized. But surprisingly, in Texas, you didn't have much of an effect, although there was. But I think the oil, the, the shale oil boom during that time sort of helped cushion the effect a little while. And especially, I think, in the city of San Antonio, uh, there was a lot of empty, you know, warehouses, uh, Houses that were abandoned, people asking for you know help outside of the parking lots. It was kind of a shocking experience to me, ju- just recently being, uh, ar- 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 just recently arriving to the U.S.
1: It wasn't what you expected?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, yeah, definitely surprising, shocking. You know, I got married in in, in 2010 during that uh, transition, so. I came here with my wife into the state just after a year of being married.
1: Newlyweds, that must have been fun. <laughs> newlyweds in a new in a new country.
0: Being just her and myself living, it was kind of a big reset. We we didn't brought much of our belongings. We sold everything and just started from scratch. After a year of being married, she definitely had been my supporter. You know, starting from from scratch, uh, recent newlyweds. Uh, you know, he was a. Reset for for us uh, with a, we are great prospects. We wanted to start our family here and stay for as long as as possible. In in, in Texas, we we really like Texas. It's it's been our 13th year, I think this this uh, 2023, and we look forward to just uh, keep doing what we do. Now we have two kids: a six year old girl and a four year old boy. They were born uh, here in in Texas, so. We know we have a family of four and plus our dog that we brought from Mexico. She's an English bulldog. She's fourteen years old and she's still around. She looks like she's half her age.
1: So you're in the United States with your dog, your two beautiful children and your wife. Yes, What made you decide to go to business school? So what was the the reason, the catalyst of why you decided to to go to business school? Was it the financial market crisis that you had just watched, where you you realized that you needed to make a change? in your career, or what really was the point when you decided, you know what, I'm gonna apply to business school?
0: I think it is that, yeah, I, th- I thought some of my colleagues had experienced the MBA before. I might looked up to them, like as a, professionals that are kind of more rounded, more assembled, definitely you could tell that the MBA provided a boost in their career in terms of, well, not only technical knowledge, but also leadership abilities. I think that was something that called my attention ever since I met uh, people that have done the MBA studies. So definitely career advancement, uh, improved business knowledge, global exposure, not necessarily the one that, that's probably in Mexico, but definitely I was looking for another option that provided me with that the global exposure with more diverse cohort and personal growth in terms of, okay, how, how can I develop leadership skills that will take me... Uh, a bit far from where I was. After that, we decided to come to the States and the process sort of stalled. I began looking for business schools at the time. I think it was 20, 2011, 2012. I did my research for my options that were available to me as a part-time program. So I was invited to the Diversity Weekend preview for Rice the same year. And it sort of blew my mind, even just Discussing or meeting the prospective students, uh, you could tell that they were like high caliber students already, uh, or people with whatever were, you know, success driven, uh, you know, business oriented. And we had this more class. So I think it was Prashant Kale, the, the teacher that did the classroom experience to us. And it blew my mind. Prashant was one of my favorite teachers, not to single out anyone, but Prashant is, is amazing. And then, uh, that, that made me decide for rice. It, it, yes, it was farther and I'll tell you how we did it. My wife and myself was a three hours and a half drive from San Antonio. And so I was accepted. I, I, I went to the, through the program. I did the GMA twice because I didn't got the, the score I needed to kind of consider myself with good chances of being accepted. So I retook it. I got the score I, I needed. It was a great feeling when I received the letter of acceptance, of course, And then figuring out how to finance it, because one thing was, you know, okay, you receive a letter of acceptance and then how you finance. We had some savings already built in and it was kind of probably enough to pay a couple of semesters. And my wife, I remember she told me, you know, we'll figure this out, don't worry, wait, let's do this. That's how the adventure started. So she picked me up every Friday. I did the professionals program that happens on Friday and Saturday. I know now they have a hybrid and they have the online program, but I did the professionals program My cohort had uh, had an average of eight years of experience, more or less. It was uh, highly intellectually stimulating to me. So she picked me up with our dog at my office, and we did the driving for three hours and a half, drove me at school, took our dog to the pet uh, place where we left her, and then we basically booked a hotel for that night and Saturday night. That We did it for the, the two years. I think one thing that kept us going is this Dale Carnegie idea of uh, living in day-tight compartments. In this case, was living in a couple of weeks-tight compartments, maybe just going to school, don't, focusing more than just what I was in front of me, and then uh, going uh, to a classroom, doing the homework, uh, whatever, whatever was needed, and then, you know, mucking one week at a time.
1: So that's quite a commitment that that you gave to yeah. the school, driving back and forth every other weekend with your wife. And... and- really funding this education that that has been integral to to what you do today i mean you know i think that if if you're talking to to other potential candidates who are thinking about rice especially from mexico what advice other than just focus on getting in cuz obviously yeah. <laughs> that's important but what what sort of advice could you give them that people that are in your shoes you know back in in 2010 yeah.
0: Let me go back to talk about what's happening in the Mexico US border region. Uh, bilateral commerce has gone from $173 billion in '94 to $667 billion in uh, 2021. That is a fourfold figure. Reshoring is happening, near-shoring is happening, near-sourcing is happening. It's just a matter of time before, or it's already, you know, the, the real estate prices in the, in the border are already going up by 50%. And there's there's a scarcity of talent. Uh, who is going to take the lead of those businesses that establish their offices, headquarters, manufacturing facilities in the border? Nearshoring can go as far as as possible without the needed talent, without reliable, efficient, and cheap electricity. So I think to build the next generation of leaders in Mexico, I think. They really have to think where they want to to, to develop their, their, their MBA studies or, or their studies of uh, like where they can learn leadership, all those skills that the MBA program grants, critical thinking abilities, all those skills that will be needed in the in the next years, in the next 20, 30 years. The border region between Mexico and the U.S. is going to become very dynamic. It's probably going to be one of the greatest times to be involved in an MBA program and to use those knowledge to make great things happening in, in Mexican businesses with the uh, foreign investment that are coming. Think about how the MBA is ranking right now. I was just looking at the prison review, recently released rankings. Rice is number one entrepreneurship for the four years in a row. Number four for the best online program. Number five for the best MBA for consulting. Some of my classmates are fantastic consultants, I believe, because of what we did during during our you know experience. We were helping a ovarian cancer organization. We ended up winning that all award due to my classmates'
1: efforts as well. It was called Overcome. Overcome, exactly. So, can you tell me a bit about Overcome and what you did during your time at Rice? It, it was a different classmate that that started that organization. Yes, rusi
0: I think that's your name. We chose Overcome because oh, uh, the mother of one of my uh, my teammates had passed away recently due to ovarian cancer. So that that was a uh, a cause that we really cared about and then we really needed to figure out a way for Overcome to, to launch uh, and achieve additional funding, uh, increase the share of mind among donors, and then uh, we basically built a business plan for Overcome at the time. I think that element that we had in that Overcome, the skin in the game, we were highly invested due to the fact that one of us was uh, had the ovarian cancer very close in our families. So I think that sort of Helped us push more and offer or, or roll in into the consulting process for for overcome and, and I think the end the product was great. We ended up uh, winning the Rice Award, the Oil Award, Award because of us. Uh, it was kind of an outstanding effort. I think that one thing that, that that process taught me is how teamwork can can make a difference. So the importance of teamwork, <laughs> definitely, was something that I recognized from what was taught to me at Rice. And I still consider teamwork as one of the important elements in my daily working life. The classroom experience that Rice provided me, I remember uh, it was because Mittal was saying, Hey guys, focus on the slope, not the intercept. Don't worry for achieving the, the <laughs> highest paying job. Look for an opportunity that offers you the, the big slope in terms of growth, in terms of opportunities. And that has, has been, I think, in my case at least, how I have uh, grown professionally, by focusing more on. An opportunity that allows me to do something that maybe nobody wants to do—the mm-hmm. nitty-gritty stuff, the unknowns aspect of the business, and uh, such as the asset management aspect of the business—to cover the this asset management department when there was uh, very little activity. We were uh, basically concentrated in in public loans, but then mm-hmm. renewable energy project came into the pipeline, and then figuring out how to how to work that asset management side of the business was a uh, Fantastic opportunity for me. So we developed the asset management uh, department at Nedbank. Uh, I had the opportunity to lead the team as an interim director for a little while. And now I'm uh, conducting other efforts as admin agent and, uh, and other tasks that are related to asset management as well. But I think the idea of understanding that there are opportunities when you learn how to look, where to look, that's something that I learned from Rice. You know uh, focus on what's important one of Vical's teachings was constantly, you know, focus on what's important, what the customer cares. And I think that's another important lesson for me uh, uh, in during my MBA years. Uh, there was another lesson important from, um, I think, it was Clayton Christensen, uh, a book on, um, on how will you measure your life. The idea of being aware of the slippery slopes and how can a slippery slope take you through an outcome that you may not want. So be careful about those slippery slopes. Mm-hmm. Ethics matter. So always be mindful of the slippery slopes.
1: Well, those are those are wonderful lessons. And one of the things that I did want to discuss with you is your role as the Associate Director of Asset Management for North American Development Bank, uh, which was a cooperation between the United States and Mexico. And And you talked about teamwork. Right and about you know they say teamwork makes the dream work True. right that, <laughs> that little cheesy cheesy line but you know it, it's challenging right now on the border between the United States and Mexico and and what do you think are are the biggest misunderstandings in the region what do you wish that people knew, knew more about
0: first of all I think that binational coordination works regardless of what you hear in the news and NetBank is a testament for that I, I think that has shown that two countries can cooperate. Uh, with the complexities that are between, you know, water rights, uh, water shared rights, uh, immigration agenda, there's a bunch of other things that are not necessarily related to to the funding of environmental projects, but the environmental impact and and taking care of of the environment is something that MadBank is doing as we speak. Understanding how the new challenges ahead with the nearshoring, reshoring, will bring um, the environment along the U.S.-Mexico border in terms of water usage, in terms of pollution that is coming from the drainage in in cities such as, you know, Tijuana, the security issues along the border as well. And there are so many different topics that are out there, but I've come to understand that the binational cooperation does exist and maybe it's not there in the news for many reasons but somehow it sort of works. And as, as, a, as an example we just had a, a a meeting with the three presidents of, you know, US, Canada and Mexico a, a few weeks ago in Mexico City. And they were discussing what to do with this, you know, huge appetite for investments in in the border region and in other parts of the country. You can see housing market for uh, foreign citizens taking off in many areas of the country. So people are definitely considering Mexico as a retirement and you think about all those baby boomers that are starting to, you know, think about retiring and then the new the other generations that are will retire in the next, you know, 20, 30 years. Uh, I think Mexico is becoming an interesting uh, place to invest in terms of like housing. Uh, there are beautiful places to consider as a second home, as a, you know, retirement home. And that is taking off in many areas. You can see there, uh, Nayarit, Riviera, uh, Yucatán Península, Baja California, Areas that you, in, in 10 years ago, you would never thought about like people from the States establishing their, their homestead there, Well now it's happening. And yes, there are news about, you know, insecurity or, uh, you know, drug Cartel activity, but those are very focalized. And when you hear about that in the news, it seems like it's all over the place. But well, there are very focalized areas where that, that is happening. And I think, yes, there are challenges and in the next decade, there will be more, but the the international cooperation between US and Mexico will you know is, is going to continue. That is my my expectation.
1: And so what are some of your, your goals for the future in the next five to ten years? Where do you where do, what are you working on next that you're excited about that you want to share with us?
0: I'm really excited about the applications for uh, artificial intelligence. So I've been playing with chat GPT in the past few weeks and I'm you know ecstatic of what you can do with that thing applications you know ai applications of all sorts and how that is going to integrate in our in our lives professionally and personally many people are questioning hey you know what is this going to happen and you know technological change has been there well forever this is probably a new curve that we're going to leave i'm excited about all that kind of wave of artificial intelligence that's coming up and bringing every debate copyright issues, schools that are worried that students will use that technology to present their essays, stuff like that. But the the real discussion is how are we going to train the next generation to use how to leverage this technology for the betterment of human beings, for the betterment of humanity. It's, it is a double-edged sword, perhaps, as maybe Elon Musk has alerted, but I think that singularity when they talk about when AI sort of becomes more cautious, it's just maybe going to happen eventually? And, and what are we going to do about it? All those discussions are following them and, and, and the marvel of the capacity in this very early stage of, of artificial intelligence. I'm also uh, interested in expanding more globally in terms of what's out there in you know, Asia, what's out there in Europe, in Africa. If you look at the population pyramids, the most promising ones are in Africa or in in China, not, not as much, but I think Africa, countries that are actually shaped as a pyramid, they're now less and less. And Africa offers a, a very promising place for foreign direct investment, for you know partnerships, investments like human capital investments, the evolution of solar, the evolution of wind energy, renewable, taking care of the environment. That's just here to stay. I think it's just a matter of time where we, continue to see more investments in renewable energy in in many areas. There's resource, of course, but now maybe coupled with uh, uh, energy storage. So you're going to see a lot of uh, solar plus storage happening, perhaps more in California, perhaps in Texas, due to the need to get a more reliable uh, uh, network. And I think uh, I'm very bullish in terms of the prospects for storage in the next five to 10 years, maybe not only in the U.S., but also in other countries. I think Mexico is is also recognizing the importance of of, uh, renewable energy, despite the setbacks that we had in the past few years. I'm also very positive that uh, in the next two to five years, we're going to see more projects becoming, at least starting, you see developers starting to look at the sector for the next two to five years. So I think we should also keep looking at, at the sector regardless of the public policy situation right now in Mexico.
1: So lots of lots of exciting things ahead.
0: <laughs> Hopefully, yes. <laughs>
1: lots of things to look forward to. Well, Daniel, yes. thank you. Thank you so much for your time today. It was it was a pleasure talking with you. Likewise. And we'd love to to stay in touch. You know, next couple of years we'll we'll see where your path takes you.
0: Thank you, Maya. Thank you for your time today. It was a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening. This has been I'll Have You Know, a production of Rice Business. You can find more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe and leave a rating wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Maya Pomeroy, and Scott Gale.